Yeah, um, not going to be able to make it. Not going to make it to the roster uh, for the World Series with the uh, type of strain that I have in my form. It's typically a six to eight week before we pick up a ball. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to another Beyond the Diamond podcast here on the Apollo Podcast Network. Brian Lima, Apollo Des here with you. Follow us on Twitter at blima790 at Apollo Des one and of course at Apollo HOU. And this episode is sponsored by Irma Rose, your local Katie winery. And this morning we are joined by none other than the pitching coach of the Houston Astros live from Atlanta, Brent Strom. Brent, thank you so much. Good morning. How's the weather uh, over there this morning? Well, I looked out the window. It's not raining. It's uh, foggy, overcast, uh, but uh, I don't think we'll have as, as much rain as we had last night. You know, we, yeah, it was a little uh, hairy last night. Yeah. A little, little cold. Was it a little cold down there in the dugout last night? Yeah, a little, little cool. They had some heaters down below where the uh, starting pitcher could go and sit. But uh, yeah, the bullpens here are pretty nice. Uh, they have an indoor bullpen uh, where guys can sit and stay warm. So uh, good facilities. Absolutely. Coach, just want to say one thank, Thankful for you and Murph and the R&D department. Obviously, you guys got thrown a curveball with, you know, Lance going down. It's a testament to you guys and, and the guys in the pin and the rotation to, to bounce back. Kind of walk us through when, when that breaks. And obviously, it's the next man up mentality. It's the playoffs. But to, to bounce back when a horse like that goes down, it's got to be tough. Yeah, I think it happened. Uh, I think he had a strikeout in the, uh, in the bottom of the fourth inning against the White Sox. Uh, basically uh, tweaked the, uh, the uh, medial part of his elbow. Uh, it was a little scary. As soon as he walked in, he was excited about the strikeout to end the fourth. Came in, and he, he didn't go to have his normal demeanor. He went down and sat down behind us, in the, and I realized something was wrong. Odorisi said to me, he thinks something's wrong. So I went down, and he, was, he had his hands in his head, obviously, uh, and, and we just couldn't go. We had to make the decision right away. I told Dusty, and, uh, uh, you know, no one, you know, Lance – obviously wanted to compete. Uh, he, he helped get us where we are. This guy's had a phenomenal Astro career early in his career. And uh, it's just uh, unfortunate. I'm just grateful that it's not going to be a, uh, a long-term injury. I think he's going to be fine, uh, more than fine beginning spring training next year. So when, sure. when you hear something in the forearm, you as a pitching coach, do you automatically think something in the, the, the collateral ligament? Yeah. Well, you know, he had Tommy John surgery as right. I did. Uh, and, uh, you think that, but uh, it basically what happened was is kind of freakish. He had, uh, I had not heard this before. He had, he had his spike curveball grip uh, and uh, he misread the sign from, from Maldonado. Uh, and basically as he was up at the top of his delivery, looking in, he saw that he's, he misread the sign. He tried to readjust his grip. And so rather than he, he kind of came around the baseball, so to speak, you guys know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, rather than staying on top of the baseball, he, he kind of, supinated his arm where where the where the hand comes around the around the baseball to create a uh, lateral break and uh, he felt something in his in his in in that that part and i think they call it like the flexor mass area of the of the forearm uh the trainer checked him out uh reassured him he's going to be fine but some fluid buildup uh, occurred and it just kind of negated his ability to pitch in the next series and in obviously the world series now the next man up, right? It's it's now Framber and, and Luis and, and Jake and Zach and Javier, everyone. Obviously, they're all competitors as well. How do you shift to get them ready? Like, hey, now you're the guy. You're, you know, it's it's the next man up. And obviously it's October and the margins are, are a little tight. And obviously you navigate through Boston that way. Um, can you kind of just tell the fans of like kind of what the game plan was with the rest of the the rest of the pin and the rest of the staff? 
Well, I really think the uh, the new guys that uh, that uh, our general manager brought in uh, really brought more than just ability. They brought a mindset. Uh, you know, we brought in a bunch of people from different spots. Okay, we brought them to one central location, which was a winning atmosphere. Uh, so we had somebody from the Marlins, somebody from the from the Indians, uh, somebody from the Mariners, uh, and it joined a group that, of bullpen guys that were already uh, next man up, as you say. And that's the right way. We, we basically say just pick your partner up. If they struggle, you come in and pick them up. You do the best you can. There's a, and I think that seeped into the starting rotation, so to speak. And, uh, you know, there's, it's no secret we had some issues with our rotation uh, early in the playoffs, things like that, a lot of short starts. Uh, and I think they started to see that uh, we need to step up our game to uh, to not uh, just wear down this this bullpen that was really carrying the load for so long. So it's been a uh, – this is a brotherhood team. It really is. They, uh, you know, they're on a mission. They want to do well uh, despite – I mean, all it's, it's common knowledge we are – not the most uh, liked team in baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think they actually relish it, to be honest with you. They think they enjoy the, uh, the animosity that, uh, that is thrown upon them. And uh, this, this team is, this pitching staff has uh, done very, very well. Obviously, I've been blessed as a pitching coach to have the Mortons and the Keikels and the Verlanders and the Coles and, and, and even McHugh and, and then a healthy Davinsky and, and, and Harris. But this is a new group of guys, young guys, and uh, really, really fun to work with. So talk, talking about the, the bullpen coach and last night, obviously it was a, a I mean, a well-played baseball game all the way around, really a, a two to nothing game. It was cold. It was rainy. Um, you know, after a game like that, it, it, it's got to be, hey, tip your cap. Atlanta did their job. They they pitched well. The bullpen pitched well. But y'all's bullpen, the Astros bullpen also pitched well. Luis Garcia got out of some big jams. Is it, it's got to be just tip the cap, turn the page, focus on game four, right? Yeah. You know, we, uh, we didn't swing the bat well last night and uh, you know, whatever happens happened. Uh, uh, I think we'll, we'll, we'll be much better tonight. You know, the, you know, Anderson, it, it's kind of funny in baseball, both of you guys being ball players, you know, that uh, first pitch strikes and throwing a lot of strikes is important. I looked up at the board. He had a no hitter after five and he'd thrown more balls and strikes. And, and so that basically told me that we were, uh, swinging at pitches that we uh, we normally don't. I think guys may be trying too hard to get it done. Uh, but one thing for sure, the clubhouse in the, in the locker room after the game, it wasn't a somber affair by any means. We've been here before, down 2-1. We'll come out tonight and uh, put a game plan on, uh, get our work in. And uh, uh, one good thing is, you know, the, the bullpen, I thought Jimmy Garcia did a, did a great job for us coming in. Uh, and then the lefties coming in to get us out of some situations. If you look at the lineup that the Braves present, there's pockets, what we call pockets, where, where certain pitchers, uh, they're, the way they throw are advantageous for us, and we utilize those pockets very well last night. Uh, Taylor coming in uh, to get Freeman out. Uh, Rayleigh coming in to get uh, uh, the you know Rosario, Freeman, uh, Albies little group. Then you got Jimmy Garcia from, from uh, Riley on down with all the righties that they – and he's very good against them, so – um, all in all, uh, kept us in the game. Uh, Graveman tried to go in, uh, missed middle, <clears throat> and got hurt. But uh, you know we'll, we'll be ready to go tonight. We got arrested Maton, obviously arrested Presley, arrested uh, Stanick. <coughs> so we should be in good shape tonight. Can we get some emotion for Phil Maton? The dude's turned into a serial killer on the mound, getting big <laughs> outs, and he just zero emotion. I just love it. It's just I think he got a little smirk in, in the last game where he came off the mound, but. 
he's just came in and been what I think like almost like a Will Harris. This guy comes in and gets a big out in a leverage spot and, and big moments. And well, I think this is I think uh, you hit upon a, a, an important point of this organization, the analytics department. This is a guy who had a 4.7 ERA in Cleveland, but we looked at the secondary, the, the peripherals of his of what his ball does. And if you notice, uh, a lot of times we'll bring him in against left-handed hitters. He has reverse splits, extremely good reverse splits, uh, partly because his, he controls his curveball, but he has a hoppy fastball, uh, pitches up in the zone, which is advantageous against almost all left-handed hitters, save Jock Peterson, who is a high fastball hitter. Uh, but uh, So he's done a, a fabulous job for us, um, and uh, I can't say enough, he's uh, – you know, he, 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 and the funny thing about him, whenever I try and give him a day off, he gets mad at me and he wants the ball. I have to kind of force feed it on him, but, uh, uh, he's been, he's been great for us. And, uh, as has, uh, as the other guys that have come in, they all, they're all very professional, all, all great, great people to deal with. So spe- speaking of, of analytics in, in today's game, today's day and age of baseball, uh, there's so many advanced stats. There's so many. It's so analytically driven. Um, how often do you find yourself still going with your gut or riding momentum or in-game situations, feeling the momentum, um, you know, and, and just feeling different situations? I mean, how often is that? Is that half and half or, or you know, just kind of tell me your mindset on, on, you know, where we are today in the game of baseball with all the stats? Well, I think there's a place for both. You know, we are obviously a very analytically driven organization. Uh, we look at all the uh, all the possibilities that can happen. We try and we basically take the, uh, the the idea when you play blackjack and you have 16, do you hit? You know, when the dealer has a certain card. Mm-hmm. And in the short term, if you have a thousand dollars hanging out there on that thing, it's pretty hard to uh, to sit back and and let the dealer pop up an eight and you lose 18 to 16. Uh, there's that temptation to take the hit. If you're playing that course over, let's say, a thousand hands, uh, you should always hit on 16 over a thousand hands. You'll come out probably ahead in the long run, but it's those one-time shots where the, where it's a little gut-wrenching. And I'm, you know, I have a manager that's obviously won close to 2,000 games. He has a feel for what's going on. He he sometimes is, is looks in a pitcher's eyes and kind of sees where he's at. Uh, that's the gut feel of it. We have the the numbers that tell us. Uh, that, uh, for example, that Phil Maton is uh, is better against lefties than uh, than uh, Jimmy Garcia. You know, the numbers just prove that out. And so we try and, and mix and match as best we can uh, to give us the 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 edge, the uh, the one percent that Vegas has uh, all the time. And the Vegas is those lights are on not because they're getting beat. You know what I mean? Right, uh, right, the right. lights are on twenty four seven because they're they're beating the, they're beating the player. And uh, we're trying to be that player that. Uh, can kind of uh, we're trying to be Vegas more than the player, uh, quite frankly. I don't I don't know about you guys, but if if I get a sixteen, I'm definitely hitting it blackjack. Maybe I that's you. why I'm not. <laughs> I, I, maybe yeah, ball we're balls yeah. ball. We're 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 hitting that. We're going for it, right? Uh, you yeah, gotta you go gotta you it. gotta yeah. get the sixteen. The question becomes yeah. the question becomes okay. You have uh, uh, you know you you have a twelve or a thirteen, uh, and and the dealer has a has a six showing. Let's say you know yeah. that's where you that's where you. You see some people say, "Oh, I'm going to hit on that," you know, when when really the numbers say to stay. Stay. And so right, you have right. to know the you have to know the percentages, uh, uh, like soft seventeens, things like that. There's there's all these uh, percentages on all the different plays of blackjack, and uh, and uh, you know it just becomes a question of of uh, what's riding on it at the time. 
you know, for sure. What a way that's such a, a different mindset to have. I mean, yeah. comparing Vegas to baseball, like that's something I never would have thought of. So I knew having you on coach, we'd get some kind of uh, <laughs> a- excellent insight, but that seriously, and all, and all seriousness, that's one of the ways I've never thought of, of baseball. Yeah. Yeah. So man, just that, just taking that away. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's, wanna, that's very insightful. Yeah. I want to rewind a bit coach. Obviously you played at USC and that was, to be a part of those teams and winning those national championships. And then obviously the dominance you guys had, can you walk us through your playing days? Obviously you had a, a great career third overall, like to be that part of that spearhead of changing that USC program and all those championships, that's going to be something cool when you look back, you know, all these years later, right? Yeah, I was, uh, I was in, uh, I was in, from San Diego and I happened to see the, the Trojans play a, uh, a tournament game down in San Diego, and I kind of fell in love with their program. I knew a little bit about their history. I knew their legendary coach, uh, and uh, I was offered a couple scholarships out of high school, not to USC, but to other schools. And I rolled the dice in hoping that I, I went to junior college for one year with the idea, hoping that I might be able to uh, have a good enough year and, and get to SC, my dream school. And, and things worked out, and I was contacted. So I left after one year and was able to play with uh, – I mean, when I showed up, when I showed up on campus, uh, the other players on that team, uh, Bill Lee pitched with the Red Sox for a long time, was a senior. Uh, I was a sophomore coming in. We had Steve Busby as a freshman, uh, pitched a long time in the big leagues. We had Jim Barr, uh, Mm -hmm. who pitched for the Giants for a long time. We had a great pitching staff at at SC and, and we had a legendary coach who made us believe in ourselves and, and we won two national championships. Our, my junior year, we got beat out by UCLA. They had a guy named Chris Chambliss who was pretty good. And, uh, to win two national championships for, 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 for that school was, uh, was a dream. I think they went on to win five in a row, uh, a couple after I left. Uh, but it kind of, a, it kind of set the tone when I went into pro baseball with, uh, I got drafted by the Mets and went into pro baseball. Uh, a lot of the things that they were doing, I had already done. So it was easy for me. Oh, and, wow. uh, uh, so I, I, I hold a, a great deal of love for my Trojans, uh, uh, but they're not my tro- the way they're playing football these days and everything. Uh, those days, they're not yeah. my dad's Trojans, man. I, I yeah. need to get them back. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's uh, that's yeah. what I. That's what's the great thing. There's, about a, there's a saying. Football. There's only, there's a saying that I always tell people. There's only two types of two types of people: Trojans and people who wish they were Trojans. <laughs> that's that's powerful, uh, Coach. We're 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 on the eve of a of a bullpen game for both sides in the World Series. Did you ever imagine that? you know, in the history of baseball that, you know, there's a, a swing game for where there's, there's bullpen games. That's where the baseball is shifting to, but that's, it's kind of wild to think about it as a fan perspective. I'm like, wow, there's two teams are kind of rolling the dice on, on bullpen games. That's a lot of margin with your guy. Obviously it's your guys. And, but someone can have a bad day, wake up on the wrong side of the bed on both sides. And it, it's different because there's a lot more margin there. Yeah. That's where you, uh, that's where you kind of, uh, what you talked a little bit about momentum in our previous, uh, little segment, uh, no. you know, if you see a guy on a roll, it's very difficult to take him out of the game, you know, right. uh, because, you know, you, you're running in at somebody new. And the, as both of you know, sometimes that first hitter that you face is the most difficult because you haven't got your feet on the ground. There's nerves, a lot of things going on. Um, you know, I, I like our starter and, and the way he matches up in Granky. I like the way he matches up with some, with especially the top of their lineup with the left-handed hitters and his, and his change up. And, and, and obviously he's a, He's a veteran guy, so we're going to see what what Zach can give us. Yeah, I know he's motivated. He wants to do well. Um, this is a future Hall of Fame pitcher who, uh, you know, pitched very well in Game 7 of the 19 World Series, and uh, he's going to go into the Hall of Fame, and I've just been blessed to be able to 
to really kind of learn from him because this guy is uh, this guy is very unique, very different than Verlander and Cole in the way he approaches pitching uh, and his mindset and everything. So uh, if he can give us a, a good start, uh, then you know we're pretty well set up. Uh, we have Odorisi is good to go. We have Javier who's been a blessing, good to go. And then we if we can get to the back end with uh, you know Maton and, and Graveman and Presley, we'll be in great shape. I think yeah, Zach's coach. pumped to hit, right? Like, yeah, I, was I, I feel just, like Zach wants to just go up there and try to get two at bats. I feel like he's just going to let it all out so he can get you, two at bats. Well, you, when he was told that he was a possible pinch hitter last night, he was the biggest smile I've seen all season. <laughs> he, he takes great pride in his hitting, and yeah. uh, you know, he's yeah, and he's a Gold Glove guy, up for a Gold Glove. He, he can swing it. Uh, I think that's probably the most disappointing thing about when the trade was made to us that he was out of the National League. He wanted to become the first ten ten pitcher. Right, ten steals oh, wow. and ten stolen bases. Uh, ten stolen bases and ten home runs. Yeah, I remember a game in Milwaukee uh, uh, when AJ was managing here, and we were down two to one, and they played behind him uh, with two outs, and Springer was at the plate in the sixth. Granky tried to steal second, got thrown out, and of course AJ <laughs> AJ, AJ AJ was incredulous. He was pissed. Actually, yeah. you know, we had Springer at the plate, chance to take the lead, and and he and Granky in only way Granky can do, he just looked at him and says. Skip, I'm trying to I'm trying to become a 10-10 player. What are you doing? <laughs> oh, that's great. That's oh. great. Uh and so so continuing on with the with the bullpen game. Um, you know, the reason I ask about going with your gut is we've seen um changes uh made in in big time games. Like take for instance, um you know, unfortunately, uh, Zach Grinke in 2019 in, in the World Series, uh, AJ took him out in the seventh inning. Um, I think it was the seventh inning, right? If I remember yeah, correctly. He had, he yeah, was just, he was just, well, okay, I'll, I'll set it up for you. Maybe this will answer your question. Okay. Uh, so we're up two to, we're up two to nothing. He gives up the home run to Rendon, makes it mm-hmm. two to one. Uh, we have uh, two outs, I think one out or two outs, and Soto's hitting. Grinke's on the mound, and he throws a 2-1 changeup which the computer reads is a 96% chance of being called a strike. Right. Umpire balls it. Yeah. Makes it three and one. He ends up walking, walking Soto. Yep. Uh, The play to bring in Harris outside of Cole was due to the fact that Kendrick, his numbers against cutter cut fastballs was like really in our favor. I mean, we, we had, uh, we really had, Black, we had we had a twenty as the dealer, and and uh, and and you had a you had a, you had a thirteen, you know, whatever on your your cards, and so we played we played the numbers, and the numbers were big in our favor, and uh, and Harris threw actually a perfect pitch, yeah, that- down and away on the black cut, and Hendrick, who was like hitting less than a hundred on that pitch, happened to catch it and hit the right field foul pole, right. So within three pitches, we went from looking good after seven with Cole coming in to start the eighth to scrambling and losing the World Series. Mm-hmm. And while it's easy to, to second guess and say you should have gone with Cole, um, you know, obviously Harris had been very good and uh, hindsight's twenty twenty, mm-hmm. and we, uh, we ended up getting beat. They, Kendrick put a swing on it. Hit it right down the right field yeah. line. Hits the right field foul pole. If it's a foot to the right, it's foul ball. We get an out. Cole starts the eighth, and perhaps there's another pennant flying in uh, in a minute, mate. And so I, I think I think my mindset on that is obviously um, 
you know, I think Des and I have a little bit higher baseball IQ than the average fan. And, and on that occasion, I mean, you said it yourself, the pitch that Will Harris threw, I would say nine times out of 10 does not get hit that way. Probably nine and a half times out of 10. That's, that's some guy's going to swing through that. Howie Kendrick did his job as a professional hitter, got the job done. Uh, and and it's, for me, it wasn't, hey, do, do the Astros need to go to Cole? I think in my mindset was, uh, do, you, do you keep Grinky in? He's been dealing all night. He's pitched well. He gave up the two-out home run to Rendon, the two-out walk. But do you keep him in? And then you could have a fresh Will Harris to start the eighth and then Garrett Cole the ninth. And I guess where I was going with my question was, you saw it last night. Anderson has a no-hitter going through five, and Snicker takes him out. And then another uh, example I use is uh, Blake Snell last year in the World Series against the Dodgers. Kevin Cash took him out uh, when he was absolutely dealing. So that's where I go back to feeling the momentum, uh, going with your gut, so to speak. Um, are you surprised that that's where we are today uh, with, with guys only making it two times through the lineup um, during the playoffs? Or is it because during the, the season, they don't empty the tank, so to speak, with all of their stuff early in the game because they're trying to stretch it out through a long 162-game season? I think you'll find my answer quite revealing here. I, uh, so this third time around the order is quite interesting. I, it's, I've spoken to Koufax and other notable pitchers of past eras where they're throwing 300 innings a year, so obviously they're going three times around the order. And Sandy said to me one time, you know, we were talking about this. Uh, by the way, he called me, wished us well in this World Series. He's, he's my favorite pitcher of all time. Uh, what a wonderful man and, 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 and obviously beyond a great pitcher. But he said to me, he said, this third time around the order, when I, when I would face Mays or Clemente or any of the great hitters, Aaron, of, of my era, I never, I never emptied the tank in the first couple at-bats. So I would utilize my fastball or whatever more than in my curveball. I would not expose my curveball because I knew I might need it in the seventh inning, first and second, two outs, and Henry coming up. Bad Henry. He used to call him Bad Henry for, for Henry Aaron. And, and, and that way I protected my curveball from his eyes and from mm. his sight. And I did a study years ago, and I, and I took some of the great pitchers uh, of their era you know, on their great years. Gidry, when he was 27 and 3, Koufax, 27 and four, Jim Palmer, uh, a lot of the great ones. And what I, what I found out is that if you looked at their, at their OPSs, their on, on base and slugging percentage, when these great pitchers in these given years were the third time around the order, their OPS, the third time around the order, was actually lower than anybody that was in the bullpen. Wow. But that's not the case anymore. Right. Uh, that's not the case anymore. Uh, the, the bullpen with the arms that they're, are, they're running out there now with the, with the 95 pluses and the, the nasty stuff that each guy has, uh, the, 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 the work is being done now looking at the numbers that the third time around the order is quite advantageous to make the change. And, and I was not surprised that Anderson was taken out. You know, uh, uh, they had a script that they wanted to follow. Uh, the Snell one surprised me a little bit last year in the World Series because he was, but they, Anderson had been very good. But what, what they didn't take into account, Tampa Bay didn't take into account, is that Anderson had been getting bludgeoned uh, a few games prior to that, that he was on fumes a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so you have to sometimes take the physical, the physical uh, ability of, of, your, of your stud reliever into account that he may not be this, in your mind, you see him as this stud in June or July, and he's not that guy in September because he's been utilized so much. So that's where you have to be a little bit careful, uh, you know, with that uh, with that scenario. So 
it's a it's a tough sell. I mean, the, everybody was like aghast when Framber went eight innings against Boston. They were like, "Oh my god!" Yeah. You know, I was what's there. Happened? It was you know what's happened? But, but he uh, he uh, he was on a roll. Had had a low pitch count, and uh, and uh, they didn't see. You know, they put the ball on the ground a lot. So it's it's a tough call. But you're seeing more and more. The complete game is like like a no hitter these days. You know what I mean? It's uh, um, I had three in my entire career and. I've got more than most of the guys on my team right now yeah. combined, you know, so outside of Grinky, you know, so. Coach, the uh, the shift into, and, and you're talking about the reliever, it kind of, in my mind, all these hitters, I always think like I'm a hitter, and the more data you give them in the sense of seeing them throughout a series, right, the more times Carlos sees a certain reliever, Alex or Yorda, anyone in that lineup, it kind of falls back to like Brandon Morrow in 17 with the Dodgers. The, the Dodgers just kept throwing him out there and he was dominant in that first half of that, that the series in the back half, we got to him. And I think about, you know, Will Harris a little bit on the front side and then on the backside. And just, is there a perception in as a, as a coach that you're like, I kind of want to shield a guy like almost a punting's not good, but I don't maybe not put him in the situation. Maybe the numbers say that because I'm going to need him in a game five or a game six, because all these hitters are, you know, if you give them enough times, if I've seen a guy over a weekend, I'm like, oh, this is the seventh time I've seen this guy over a, a three game set. I, I'm probably going to have a better at bats than on that back end, unless he just has my number flat out. I got to say, you guys are good. Both of you guys are really good. <laughs> I've done a lot of number of podcasts in my career, and, and you guys by far are asking some of the most poignant, insightful questions that I've ever been presented. And uh, I appreciate that. But, but as oh, far you. as the. Uh, Thank you. As far as the uh, the moral the moral situation was a was a classic example of the analytics taking it way too far. Uh, if you remember, we lose game one. Uh, Rich Hill is pitching in game two, and and we're up one nothing, and he's killing us. He struck out seven guys in the first four innings, and we wanted we didn't want any part of him. They take him out after four, I think, and they bring they go to their bullpen with I think it was Maeda coming in and stuff like. That. And we started to kind of do some things, and then the moral thing became very apparent. You know, they 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 they, they burned him up early. Uh, we got a better look at him late, and we actually discuss some of this sometimes in a down game or whatever. You don't want to overexpose because hitters become more familiar. Uh, that's why you see a lot of young pitchers when they first come up to the big leagues, how dominant they are, how well they do, because nobody has a, a book on them, and you don't know uh, what what their stuff looks like. Uh, can they can they spin a two one breaking ball for a strike? Uh, you know, the hitters are saying, oh, I got this rookie here, the counts two and one, I'm going to get my, I'm going to get my fastball. And then, then, then the kid is able to throw a wrinkle at you. And all of a sudden you're saying, wow, okay, I got to reevaluate who I'm facing here. And, uh, so it's a very valid case about trying to, like Kofax said, I want to save my curveball for Mays in the seventh with bases loaded when I'm going to need it. Uh, if it's like bonds, you face Barry bonds, you have a five nothing lead in the fifth, in the fourth, why not throw him a fastball? Why not throw Bonds a fastball, be up five to one, send him on his way. You don't see him for another couple innings. And now you got him in the seventh with uh, two runners on and a 5-1 lead, 5-2 lead, hammer time, change-up time, slider time, cutter time, whatever the case may be. Give him a fresh look. Yes, sir. Coach, coach, going back to what you said uh, about Sandy Koufax not showing his fastball, or I'm sorry, not showing his curveball. Uh, I went to spring high school right here on the north side of Houston. And the yep. kid, the the player that I grew up watching as a young kid was Josh Beckett. And obviously right. he had a, a very good career uh, in Major yep. League Baseball, won, won a couple World Series, uh, was a World Series MVP. Uh, and growing up as a young player myself, I, I remember my dad and a couple other of our coaches 
that was Josh Beckett's mindset where he was going to prove his fastball and, and see how far you could hit it, so to speak, uh, in the first couple innings, first time time through. And then he would start to drop off some curveballs. Uh, it was always fastball uh, changeup, and then he would develop his curveball later on in the game. Uh, just real quick question. Uh, again, I know we're conscious of your time, but do you think we will see things like that later on, you know, down the road in this game? Do you think we'll see pitchers that are coming out throwing the high velo fastball, high four seam, uh, dotting up, you know, inside, outside, and then later on in the game, they'll start to show their curveball a little bit more? Or do you think that the game is so analytic, analytically driven um, that they'll, you know, try to meticulously get through the lineup? Well, two, two points on this one. Um, uh, in game f- uh, game five of the uh, ALCS against Boston, Framber started this, started the game with 14 straight sinkers, 14 sinkers in a row. Maldonado recognized early that the ball had action, and there was no reason to expose his curveball. The curveball came along, along later. And one of the things that I remembered on the first day I ever got called up to the big leagues from Tidewater, AAA, uh, I go to Shea Stadium, uh, and Tom Seaver's pitching that night. And, and Tom C, the late Tom Seaver, who went to USC, uh, he's warming up before the game. And it, and, it, and it sounds like, I mean, he's throwing, there's corrugated metal on each side of the bullpen. And it sounded like a bomb was going off every time it would hit the catcher's glove. You, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Oh, the yeah. sound when a catcher, when a catcher catches the ball can make a pitcher sound really fast or he can make them sound really slow, depending on how they catch the ball. Yeah. And it is, it, I mean, it sounded like thunder coming out. And it's my first game in the big leagues. And I'm out in the bullpen, and I just made a comment to him. I said, uh, Tom, looks like you got a great fastball. We're playing the Pirates that night, 1970, 1972. The Pirates win the uh, the America, the National League Championship. And he says to me, and I still remember, he says, I'll let, I'll let Stargell and Clemente tell me if I have a good fastball tonight. Wow. And he went into wow. the first inning. He went into the first inning just blowing cheddar, and he would determine whether his fastball was really as good as what it sounded like to me and my eyes, I thought it was spectacular, but he was going to let the swings by Stargell and Clemente, how they swung at the pitch and the reactions that they had, tell him whether he, he could reverse course early, because we all know that the first inning is a very difficult inning for starting pitchers. And it would tell him right away, can I, can I ride this heater for the first time around the order here before I go to my hard slider, <clears throat> or do I – not have the fastball I think I have, and I got to get to my off speed earlier to to get into the game. So uh, those are two kind of points I think to answer your question quite succinctly. Coach, I know we're wrapping up here. Uh, last question: We had Tyler Ivy on here a couple months ago. Um, he talked about his first big league start, and he just showed up. He was driving all the way, you know, like a madman up. He gets to the locker room. And he's, you know, trying to get situated and, and he turns around and you're there and you're just and you're just telling him, hey, it looks like you're going to start in Arlington. And he he came on. And he was like, he was like, I was a deer to headlights. Can you kind of run us through your perspective on that before we wrap up? Well, you know, we we, uh, we debated uh, Tyler Ivy and there was another guy we were possibly thinking of starting uh, Peter Solomon. Uh, but we thought it was pretty cool. Him being from Dallas and being able to pitch in his in his home stadium, you know, and uh and uh, it was just, it's always one of the more fun things in my, uh, you know, I've, I've been on both sides of it. I've had to sit in rooms where, where we release players. I've had to sit in rooms where we send people down. I've had to sit in rooms where, where they had to be uh, reprimanded. Uh, but th- this is one of the perks is when you finally tell a guy that, uh, 
that they're going to the big leagues, that they're going to pitch their dream. <clears throat> I remember when I remember when I was in Tidewater and, and Whitey Herzog was our farm director with the Mets and I'm in Tidewater and he said, hey, you're, we got you scheduled to pitch against the Expos on Monday. And I, I, I he says, uh, uh, your stuff can play up there. And, and it was just uh, a dream come true, you know, and, and I'm sure Tyler, I mean, I will, I will tell you to this day, I'm 73 years old and not a day, not a day in my life ever goes by where I don't reflect of pitching in the big leagues. It was that important and, and that important uh, a moment for me. And, and, and my, uh, I, I kid people, I, they say, well, how was your career? And I tell them, hell, I was a 22 game winner, but it took me three years to get there, you know? <laughs> and, uh, uh, but I, I, I can almost remember every one of my wins. I remember a lot of my losses. I remember the pluses and the minuses. Uh, so, uh, you know, when you're a kid growing up uh, and, and you watch the, I'm watching black and white TV, 1958, 59 Atlanta, uh, Milwaukee Braves playing the Yankees. Um, and, and my dad takes me to my first PCL game in San Diego to see the San Diego Padres. I fell in love. And it kind of is the last line uh, of ball four, uh, which is a read I think every baseball fan should read. The last line of ball four basically says, all those years I thought it was me uh, holding on to the baseball when in reality it was the baseball oh, holding on to me. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, you know, just the game of baseball, obviously Des and I didn't, you know, we weren't fortunate enough to make it to the big leagues. Um, but even in our day-to-day -day life, I reflect on, on my playing days all the way through college. Um, the game of baseball is a game of failure. And what it does for a young man is it, it, uh, it teaches you how to deal with adversity. So if you can grasp the fact that in baseball, to be a successful player, you have to succeed 28 to 30% of the time, then dealing with stuff in your day-to-day -day life really isn't that hard. Um, and, and I, I can't appreciate the game of baseball more um, because it's taught me so many life lessons outside of the game. I just, I just, uh, it's funny you should bring this because uh, we came on at 10 o'clock here in Atlanta at nine o'clock. I got a, I got a call from a former pitcher of mine named Danny Ruckel, who went to Furman, Furman University, uh, Furman University. And I had him in the expo organization, got his highest triple A and a great curveball. I always remember tremendous curveball. And he came over and had a cup of coffee with me prior to me coming on. And he basically, we hugged and he said, and he's very successful. He's, he's, he's in commercial real estate. He's got three young daughters, a uh, lovely home outside uh, here in Atlanta. And, uh, you know, he makes trips to Scotland with his group and plays golf. And he basically said, hey, you really helped me become the man I am. Mm. That's the highest yeah. you can be. Yeah, and absolutely. Then, Coach, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, good luck tonight. Good luck the rest of the series. Um, open invite when everyone to jump on and and hang okay. out with the boys. Yeah, you guys are you guys yeah. are good, man. You guys are good. I, I appreciate the insight. You made my my questions just float perfectly. You know, it's uh, yeah. You, you guys have you guys have an insight that uh, that a lot of people don't have, and 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 your questions. I, I loved your questions. Thank, Thank you very much. Yeah. and we got to get you all the shirts that the guys are rocking yeah, did, in there. Did are you they, see? Are they giving them to you? Because we're sending them in there. Yeah, did you see the shirt that we that we designed for you? Yeah, the, the Stromomity or whatever yeah. it is. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. There's, a, there's a, you know, the t-shirt uh, business is pretty big around here. We got uh, we got Javier with his coffee. We got, uh, we have the fram, Framber size. You know, yeah. we got all kinds of yeah. different ones. But I appreciate it, guys. Yeah, appreciate absolutely. It. All right, yeah, okay. absolutely. Again, thank, thank, you thank you, Coach. Thank you. You got it, man. Good luck. Thanks. Wow. That was Brent Strom, the... Pitching coach for the Houston Astros. In the middle yes, of the World I, Series. Taking yeah. time out of his morning yeah. to chop it up with us.
Hey, how about hey? The best what? part about the best part about that interview, obviously, was the compliment uh, to you and I. But it, how about how he's just casually dropping Sandy Koufax? Oh, Sandy Koufax texted me. We were texting uh, before the series, and he was uh, he was wishing us good luck. I mean, that's Are you kidding me? I, I know we've had some really good people on this podcast here early in in our uh, podcast, so to speak. But that was by far the best one. By that far the best one was. Dude, amazing. It, and and the way that he talks about Vegas and compares it Bro. between blackjack and baseball, I, I swear to God, I'm gonna use that that saying and that way to look at it with my 12U team. For like sure. that's that is holy shit. Like I I I just I, I'm blown away. Absolutely blown away. Wow. Uh wow. I'm speechless. I'm at what an episode. If I don't this is gonna be our best episode ever. Like ever, ever. I'm I'm speechless. Big what is big, life? big big shout out to to Jen with Irma Rose Winery uh, for for setting that up. Jen, wow. The best. I, I, I mean, I, I mean, wow. Uh, and as I talk about Jen with Irma Rose, Irma Rose is your local Katie Winery, where they make fruit wine with an elegant taste. Visit their location and experience a vibe like no other with live music, delicious food trucks, and a variety of local vendors to shop from. You can find their wines in nine local HEB stores or online. Drink responsibly and go Strohs. Go Strohs. Wow. Oh, oh my God. I'm, wow. I'm, talk, about a, talk about a setup for the day. Dude, Astros the Strohs are winning tonight. tonight. Astros, the Astros win tonight. are winning tonight. Astros by a billion. Bro. What? I'm blown away. Absolutely blown away. Again, Jen, thank you so much for setting that up. Oh my gosh, uh, Brent Strom, thank you for coming on with us. I, I'm ready to, I'm ready to run through a brick Dude, wall. I, I feel like I could throw the game tonight. I, I feel like Brent Strom has talked to me enough that I could throw the biggest <laughs> game of the Astros season tonight. Like that's how Seriously. much confidence he just gives off. Like. I, I see it now. I see why we have been so dominant. It doesn't matter if it's been Verlander or Cole or Keiko or Morton or Lance yeah. or Luis or Javier or Kitty or Framber. The dude is just. He seeps knowledge I, and, and, and like seeps knowledge and, and, and just um, a wisdom and confidence and, and the aura of Brent Strom, even through the camera, like seriously, like you said, I, I, I feel like. I could I have, go. I, I could go close out that game tonight if if he needed me to. I'm a very confident human being, but he just made me so confident I can close out a World Series game. Yeah, yeah. Like, wow, absolutely blown away. Wow, absolutely blown away. That's gonna do it. I, I mean, they put it on the board. Wrap it a, up. A, Astros win by a billion. That's a it. Billion. They're gonna win game four. They're gonna tie the tie the series up, and it's gonna come you back know, to Houston. We may just hang out with Britt when they comes back. In yeah. the Houston for game six. We just, yeah. you, know, you know. Who knows? Who knows? We may be best friends now. Nike, you want to big league us? Brent Strom doesn't big league us. Yeah. Yeah. He they, say, they say checks over stripes, huh? Nah. Yeah. Nah. Uh -uh. Not no more. Free stripe life. That's going to do it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. This is by far the best episode. Yeah. We're just black. But, I, I blacked out. As, as always, Des, you have anything before we get off? I love you guys. I mean, yeah. I love you. I don't. I love you guys. That's going to do it. Thank you for watching. Tune in next time. Who knows who we'll have on? <laughs> we might have Brent Strom on for the rest of our career. I don't know. 
we may just make him the third third member of this podcast. Oh my gosh! Oh. Again, thanks thanks for tuning in. We'll be back uh, after games four and five for another edition of Beyond the Diamond podcast here on the Apollo Podcast Network. Peace, Thank you guys.